Portfolio Boys friends, you're back again, and I'm so glad you are because in this episode, sponsored in part by Elenco, I'm joined by Dr. Audrey Cook to discuss a challenge that many of us face in practice on a regular basis, and that is weight loss in cats with chronic kidney disease. I mean, it can be heartbreaking to watch these kitties shrink down while dealing with chronic kidney disease, despite our best efforts to keep them eating and keep weight on them. So Dr. Cook and I dive in to discuss the why behind weight loss and how to manage it and keep our feline friends eating. Dr. Audrey Cook obtained her veterinary degree from the University of Edinburgh. She completed an internship in small animal medicine and surgery at North Carolina State University before starting her residency in small animal internal medicine at the University of California, Davis. She's board certified through the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine and the European College of Veterinary Internal Medicine. In addition, she's one of the few internists with additional certification in feline practice through the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners. Her professional interests include endocrinology, gastroenterology, and interventional radiology and endoscopy. Dr. Cook is currently the co-chief of the medicine section at Texas A&M College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences. She was delightful to talk to and had so many helpful insights on management of these poor kitties, but don't take my word for it. Here's our episode. Dr. Cook, thank you for being here with me today. I am delighted to be here. Oh, I'm delighted to have you and delighted to talk about this topic that um, I, I feel like it's something that's so important, but, you know, maybe one of those things that we throw our hands up too soon and go, you know, well, this is just a fact of life. Um, so let's talk about weight loss with chronic kidney disease, because there is something we can do to help these cats. Exactly. I think you're right. I think we have just kind of shrugged and said, well, we expect our CKD cats to get slowly smaller. And there was much, much we could do. And so we have tended to kind of not look at the problem because we hadn't got solutions. But but now we do have some options. So I think it's wonderful that this discussion is being started. And people are starting to look at these patients and think, you know, we actually can do a bit better. You know, we, we've kind of already touched on this first question, but along the lines of we know that CKD cats, um, CKD, of course, being chronic kidney disease, we know that they lose weight. So I guess the first question is, is this a problem that we should address? Absolutely. I think we should. There's been some really nice studies that have looked at things that help us identify a cat who might have chronic kidney disease. And um, some of those studies have shown that most cats with chronic kidney disease have actually lost a substantial amount of weight before we even diagnosed their kidney problems. And so clearly weight loss is a, an enormous component of, of CKD, even relatively early CKD. And there's been other studies that have looked at how long do you live with your CKD if you are skinny versus how long do you live with your, your CKD if you are a chubbier cat. And we know that cats who are skinny with CKD don't survive as long as cats who maintain a better body weight. And so we understood that there's a connection there. I think because we haven't had great options for trying to turn things around, we have tended to like I said, just kind of shrug and say, well, that's just, just a part of the problem. But I think we shouldn't accept it. Certainly based in, in studies in, from the human perspective, if you're managing your CKD with hemodialysis, 
your longevity is going to be worse if you are losing body condition. And so in people, they know that if you're losing weight, even if your renal disease is being managed with hemodialysis, you're still not going to live as long as a person who's managing to maintain a good body weight also undergoing dialysis. So we haven't proven yet in cats that if we can keep you in a good body condition score, you will live longer. We haven't proven that, but all the evidence we've got strongly suggests that that's going to be the case. That's interesting. You know, all this stuff, we always want cats to be a healthy weight and not be heavier, but like you said, they lose weight before we even diagnose them. So maybe there's something to these chunky cats. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, So why do cats with CKD lose weight? Because I agree with you. I think that's a common, uh, common presentation that I hear is we're drinking a lot. We're urinating a lot. We're losing weight. It puts a few things on the differential list. Why are they losing weight? I think there's probably a couple of things at play. I do think when we get renal failure, renal disease, we get a change obviously in our blood biochemistry. Now, when we do a routine chemistry panel, we're going to see the creatinine is up, the B1 is up, and they may not be up all that dramatically. And I think one thing we need to bear in mind is that what we measure on a chemistry panel is absolutely the tip of the iceberg of the actual biochemical changes that happen in blood and the extracellular fluids when you have chronic kidney disease. And so we look at those two things on the chemistry panel and say, oh, your B1 and creatinine are up a little bit. Well, literally hundreds of other things are shifting. And so we have this metabolic derangement that goes along even with early chronic kidney disease. And that potentially is enough to blunt their interest in food. And so it could be you've got a cat who's on free choice dry food, and he's decreased his intake by maybe just 5%. Well, that over six months is enough to have a significant drop in body weight. So I think they've got the metabolic derangement process that's potentially impacting their interest in food. Because as soon as you shift the biology of the blood, you're going to send messages to the brain that are going to confuse interest in food. The other thing I think is a component, and we don't tend to think about chronic kidney disease as being an inflammatory disease, but it is. In about 80% of cats with chronic kidney disease, the underlying etiology is often not identified. We don't find a specific reason why most of these cats end up in kidney failure. But 80%, there's, there's no explanation. And we say, oh, aging, we don't know, just these things happen in all cats. But if you biopsy their kidneys, what you're going to find is inflammatory disease. So the biopsy is going to show um, interstitial nephritis and tubular interstitial fibrosis. And so even though this is not an, an acute inflammatory condition, this is a chronic inflammatory condition. And we do know that inflammatory conditions shift our cytokine profiles. When we shift our cytokine profiles, those cytokines send messages to the hypothalamus, to the centers in the brain that regulate food intake, and they turn down food intake, and they also slightly crank up metabolic rate. And so we have a patient who's eating a bit less than usual, but potentially is burning through those calories a bit faster than usual. And so we get a cat that comes in. It's been six months he was since he was last examined. His weight is down 10% and he's diagnosed with stage two CKD. Blood work, not horribly dramatic, but a pretty significant weight loss in the majority of our cats by the time they're diagnosed. But that blows my mind. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of that, that same shoulder shrug approach of yes, they lose weight. They don't feel good. So they're not eating as much, but, um, knowing that there's actually a physiological reason behind this weight loss, I think it's just kind of a whole different way of thinking about it. I agree. I do think we've probably not really recognized what is going on in those relatively early 
CKD cats. I think particularly now that we do stage them, saying you're a stage one or a stage two doesn't sound all that bad, but actually, you know, an awful lot of renal function has been lost before a cat is even recognized as stage one CKD, let alone by the time they get to stage two CKD. And, and this, this may be more information than you're looking for, but, but work done experimentally has shown that you can actually inject basically put BUN back into a patient who's got a renal dysfunction and and they they don't feel so bad so the BUN isn't the thing that makes them feel bad until it's probably getting close to 80 or 100 but other things we can't measure are making them feel bad way before their CKD is that dramatic and we don't measure those things and so we don't grasp the impact that these metabolic changes are having but awful lot of stuff is shifting in their inner biology way before we get a flag on our routine blood work. Wow. Yeah. Cause by the time we get to 80, I mean, we have problems. Yes. Serious problems. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when we're talking weight loss, of course, diet has something to do with this. And sometimes the, you know, this can be exacerbated once we diagnose the kidney disease. I mean, we've all sent that prescription food home and had the owner call back a few days later and say, you know, they just, they won't eat the food or they're not eating it very well. What do you recommend in those cases? Do we need to keep these cats on a kidney diet? Do we modify it? What, what do we do in those cases? That is a, a huge issue. I think, I think the opinion that most of us have about diet and chronic kidney disease is very nuanced and complicated. I am old enough to remember that as soon as somebody said, ooh, this, kid, this cat's got less than perfect kidneys, we would grab a large bag of dry kidney diet and send the owner home with it. And I'm not sure that was always the smartest thing to do. I do think that there's really good evidence that phosphorus restriction markedly improves survival for patients with chronic kidney disease. And the most straightforward way to decrease the amount of dietary phosphorus is to put a patient onto a so-called kidney diet because the kidney diets are phosphorus restricted and protein restricted. I'm a huge believer in go after the phosphorus. Now, if the only way you can control the phosphorus is to go for a very, very protein restricted diet like the standard kidney diets, then that is a very, very legitimate way to approach that issue. If you can get phosphorus where it needs to be without protein restriction, particularly for, for maybe stage one, stage two, maybe early stage three CKD patients, then that tends to be the approach that I'll have. And so there are some diets available that are low phosphorus without necessarily being low in protein. Having said that, this is an extremely complicated issue and, and, a, and feelings run very strong on, on many sides about when should you actually say you need to go into a prescription kidney diet versus when can we stay on commercial cat foods and modify the nature of those commercial cat foods. We can also try and go after phosphorus by using phosphorus binders and that sometimes is a really useful option to do rather than shift to a kidney diet. All discussions on when to shift to a kidney diet to one side, most of my st um, high stage two and stage three CKD cats are going to be on a kidney diet because it's the only way I can control their, their phosphorus. Those diets, because they are low protein and low salt, they're also extremely inevitably low flavor. There really isn't much you can do to take a kidney diet and make it an exciting food. And so I think a lot of us have sent owners home with a bag of a, or, or a case of a, of, a, of a kidney diet. And then you're exactly right. We get this phone call to say, it's horrible. Um, he's not taken a mouthful. This is a waste of everybody's time. And then we've said, forget it, forget it, because we'd much rather have a cat eating something than have a cat eating nothing. So I think we have tended to, to abandon those diets relatively quickly if we've had poor acceptance by the, by the cat and therefore poor compliance by the owner. 
But the data is there to suggest that using a, a kidney style diet at stage two CKD onwards is going to improve longevity. And so I can't argue with the data saying we've got to do something to control the phosphorus. And often the easiest way to do that is to reach for a so-called kidney diet. I think something that can help are making a slow transition. It's never successful with a cat to make a, a fast transition. We've also got to be sympathetic to cats feeding behaviors. And so cats will learn, I think it's in the first about certainly by the time they're six months of age, they will have learned what food should look and feel like. And that will depend upon what they're offered when they're very, very small. And so if you've got a cat who was basically weaned onto triangular shaped dry food, and that is the only food that cat has had until it's 10 years of age, it's actually never going to survive on a wet food. It will never take in enough wet food to maintain its body weight because the cat actually doesn't think the wet food is a food. The cat has actually been programmed. We've trained that cat to think dry triangles are food. And so sometimes even offering a dry food that's a different shape can be an issue because the shape of the food is now part of the cat's experience. And so a round kibble, I won't eat it. It has to be triangular. And so unfortunately, lots of our cats have been trained since childhood to have a very, very narrow palate. If they've only eaten one brand of food, then it's a dry food and it's a certain shape. You are going to have a heck of a time trying to get that cat onto a wet food, practically impossible. And even a different shaped kibble can be a challenge. So I always urge cat people to mix and match the foods. Um, don't attach yourself to a brand, offer wet, offer dry, offer triangle, offer pebbly, offer, offer all kinds of different things so the cat doesn't get this very, very narrow appreciation of what is a food. And also, if you have to make a change, be cognizant of where the cat's experiences lie and try to find, if it has to be a dry food because the cat's used to dry, that's okay. And try and find a dry food that's going to be something that meets that cat's understanding of what actually is a food. That's answering so many questions in my mind right now. I mean, I've always wondered about these cats that are, that, you know, they just won't eat canned food and you're looking at the two bowls next to each other and you're going, that canned food looks like it's got to taste better than these kibbles, but that makes so much sense mm -hmm. that they're so conditioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cats have that. There's some complex psychology to cat feeding behaviors and basically they learn when they're small, what is or is not a food and they might nibble on something else. They'll, they'll, they'll taste it. Sometimes day one, the wet food will have a few bites taken out of it and they might continue to, to take a mouthful or two, but they somehow don't ever think I can live on this. They will sit and wait for the triangular kibble because that's what they're programmed to, to eat, to feed. And so cats are tricky and the cats are, are um, enough to drive you mad when it comes to making a diet change because of some of these very complex psychological influences. That's so interesting. Um, so I guess then the question is, what do we do about it? Uh, you know, we have these kidney diets that there's data to show that this will be beneficial uh, to longevity and, and managing this disease, but the cats won't eat it for all of the reasons you just touched on. What kind of options do we have? I think we do now have some options because we do have a product that's actually licensed to address weight loss in cats with chronic kidney disease, and that is Allura, which is an oral capromorelin product licensed for cats. And so this product is actually, um, it's a what's called a ghrelin receptor agonist, and ghrelin is the hunger hormone. So ghrelin is a hormone that's released from the stomach, and the longer it's been since you last ate, the more ghrelin your gastric lining will put into your circulation. And so if it's been hours and hours and hours since you've last eaten, your ghrelin concentrations in your blood are getting higher and higher and higher. 
that ghrelin hits the brain and that really tickles the center that is the hunger center. And so if you're sitting on your computer and suddenly thinking, oh, I cannot, I cannot write one more word, I'm too hungry to carry on, that is the ghrelin hitting the hypothalamus. And so it makes you get up and go find food. And so caprimorelin is a ghrelin receptor agonist. And so it lands on the, on the receptors that ghrelin lands on. And so caprimorelin sends a very powerful message to the brain to go find food. That's tremendously exciting because it's following a natural biological process. We're able just to use this once a day drug that's going to land onto those receptors. So I'm tremendously excited about bringing this into my, my, my toolbox for cats with chronic kidney disease particularly if I'm going to have to make that difficult diet change. And so my plan with the, with the Allura is not to overwhelm the cat, but let's try the Allura by itself on the regular food for a few days, get the cat hungry, excited. Food is more fun than it has been because my hypothalamus is making me want to go eat more. When the cat is up and running and actually a bit hungrier than he was, that is the time to, to slip in. And again, take five to seven days to do it, but slip in your target prescription diet. Being very cognizant about what kind of formulations the cat will like and being very realistic about you're never going to get a cat who's lived on dry to live on wet. But that would be the way that I would, I would use this really exciting new product. Absolutely. I mean, anything to get these guys eating more and maintaining their body weight. Can you tell us a little bit more about Allura? Um, you know, how does it work? And then of course, how effective is it? So we do know that it's going to be working on those, um, those, those ghrelin receptors. Um, ghrelin actually is a pretty fascinating hormone because it does tickle the hunger center and the hypothalamus. So it makes you want to go eat. It also does some pretty fascinating things as far as improving the production of growth hormone. And so not only are you driven to go find food, but the food that you do take in, you're more inclined to convert into useful lean muscle. You're not going to take in those calories and park them as fat. You're actually, because of the growth hormone, much more metabolically driven to, to adding some weight and adding useful biologically active weight, which is really, really exciting. Ghrelin also has some uh, anti-inflammatory properties. And so we don't, we haven't been proven yet. We, I can't say for certainty that caprimorelin does the same thing as far as mitigating inflammation, but we know that ghrelin is an anti-inflammatory. And if caprimorelin is hitting those same receptor systems, there's a pretty good chance that may also be down-regulating some of the inflammatory processes that go along with chronic kidney disease. And that's also going to help you want to eat because we've knocked out some of those cytokines that inhibit intake. As far as its efficacy, we've got some really nice data from Elanco about the, the impact of it. And so we've got some data from perfectly healthy cats where they were trying to figure out what is the best dose of Allura. And basically they looked at various doses and, and every cat who got Allura, even at relatively low doses, tended to gain weight. Um, but on the data they got, they, they, they picked label dose, which is two mg per kg just once daily. And then there was some amazing work done on very large numbers of cats recruited from first opinion practices with chronic kidney disease. And to be enrolled in the study, the cats had to have a documented weight loss and they had to be diagnosed with chronic kidney disease that's best the, the practitioner could tell was stable. Obviously, sometimes hard to know on one visit if your CKD is truly stable, but those were the enrollment criteria. They enrolled a large number of cats, about two to one got the Allura versus the placebo, and then they tracked their body weight. And the study ran for just about eight weeks. Some of the graphs that came from that study were amazing because even by day 15, the cats who were getting Allura had gained on average 3% of their body weight. 
if you track them out for the eight weeks of the study, after eight weeks, the cats getting Allura have gained on average 5% of their body weight, which is pretty good going for less than two months. And then you look at the graph of the cats who are getting the, the placebo, bless their little hearts, they're getting littler and littler. So by eight weeks into the study, the cats who are on the placebo have lost another 1.6% of their body weight on average. And so you have this really heartbreaking graph where the cats on the control are just drifting down, 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 down. And the cats on the Allura are moving up rapidly with this really nice weight gain of 5% on average in just two months. That is amazing. It sounds like something, you know, that we definitely want to reach for with, with chronic kidney disease. So of course, the next question to follow would be safety. Um, Are there any safety concerns we should be aware of with it? Contraindications, times we shouldn't reach for it? Those are great questions. I think certainly as far as times we should not reach for Allura, I've kind of got two categories in my mind. Because of its impacts on growth hormone, it would not be something we should use in cats who we knew had hypersomatotrophism or acromegaly. So if you have confirmed acromegaly or have reason to suspect a cat has acromegaly, this would not be an appropriate choice. The other no, I wouldn't do it, would be a seriously ill and compromised cat. This drug is not an ICU environment drug. This drug is designed to maintain weight in cats with chronic disease. It is not designed for some poor cat fighting for its life in an ICU circumstance. And so for me, it really is, it's a a management tool to be used chronically at home. It's not to be given for the cat who is struggling in in, in a critical situation. It's not designed for that. And the reason why I say particularly, it should not be used in patients who are very critical is hasn't been looked at in that patient population. And we also do know that in some individuals, about 60 minutes after you get a dose of Allura, you'll get a little drop in heart rate, and a little drop in blood pressure. And if you're basically stable, um, that's interesting. You can pick it up with telemetry, but it really has no consequences. If you are very, very ill and compromised and weak and on fluid support, then that drop in heart rate plus or minus a drop in blood pressure can actually cause you some significant compromise. And so to my mind, Allura is not a drug I would use for a cat who's in my ICU. It's a drug I would use for a cat who's upgraded to my my happy cat ward or for a patient who's being managed in the home environment. Those would be my two, ooh, I, I wouldn't do it. Um, as far as the other concerns about safety go, again, there's some really nice data looking at the, the safety of the drug. So a group of healthy cats were given Allura for up to six months, and they were given various doses, including the highest dose was five times the label dose. And so we have a lot of information from, from the safety studies that is tremendously reassuring as far as the, the safety profile. One cat in, a, in the safety study did become a diabetic. And it's hard to know the true circumstances of that. The cat was on five times the standard dose um, for a prolonged period of time. Does that tie into what Allura does as far as growth hormone secretion? We don't know. And so my other time that I might be slow to use Allura, I'm not saying I wouldn't, but I would be cognizant, would be a diabetic cat because potentially it could cause some impact on their insulin responsiveness. So I might be a little bit slow to do it in a diabetic for that reason. That's interesting um, with the effects on growth hormone and everything like that. It's got some really neat, interesting physiology behind Mm -hmm. it. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the ghrelin receptor agonists are a very exciting drug class. And we're very lucky in veterinary medicine because we have licensed products now versus there's still studies undergoing in the human field for this, um, this same drug class. And so we've actually jumped ahead of the, the human field as far as we are the first group to get a ghrelin receptor agonist on the shelf and licensed for use in both dogs and cats. And so that's tremendously exciting. That is exciting. I don't feel like we're always ahead of the game there. That's great. <laughs> yes, for once, for once, we're not borrowing drugs from the human field. We've actually um, leapt ahead of them and we have uh, we have Allura for cats and then we have um, enticed as an appetite stimulant in dogs. And so we really have leapfrogged over where they are in human medicine, which is wonderful. We touched earlier on getting that phone call from the owner where they're saying, you know, you sent me this diet and now my cat's not eating it. What do I do? So when we're monitoring these kitties that are on Allura, of course, you know, we can bring them in and weigh them and, and see if they're gaining their body weight, but the owner probably is going to want to have some idea of how they're doing at home. So what are your recommendations as far as, you know, owners monitoring these cats at home to see, to just to have a general idea of how much they're eating? I think we need to really encourage our owners to recognize recognize that monitoring intake is tremendously important. Most of our owners of cats are very, very good at noticing changes in litter box activity because we scoop it. And so when you scoop it, you notice when there's more or less or something is not as formed as it should be. But I think many of us have traditionally scooped out a portion of a wet food or sprinkled some some kibbies and walked away and we've not actually paid attention to how much our cats are eating and so I'm hoping with all this discussion about management issues for cats where weight loss is a concern that a general a general drift towards encouraging our owners to be very very cognizant of how much their cats are taking in is going to be kind of a part of this discussion and so I think even on a wellness visit it's worthwhile making sure you know what that cat is eating at home and I think by asking those questions and not not just jotting down he's on x brand of food but actually saying Mrs Smith how much of this brand of food is he taking is it is it always this brand do you change brands do you do any wet food at all? Making sure that you convey to the owner of the cat that discussions about diet and how much they're taking in are really, really important. Things we can really do to empower both wellness visits and managing our CKD cats is very simple things like sending home devices to measure intake. And many food companies will provide little quarter cup scoops. And so rather than trying to use a big cup and thinking, I think it's a quarter, if you've got a little quarter cup scoop, you can really specifically tell how much your cat is taking in. And so I really encourage owners to use um, things from their kitchen or I will send them home with little cheap plastic quarter cup scoops. And so if their cat is supposed to take in a half a cup a day of a specific diet, they've got their little quarter scoop. They can put out a quarter twice a day or put out the day's allowance in a separate pot and then they actually know how much the cat is taking in. And so I think having those conversations makes a huge difference and then really supporting that by just providing little quarter cup scoopers, just how cheap and simple is that? But it's a great way to say, I care, it matters. This is the amount of food he needs to take in. You need to tell me if we're not hitting these targets. And so I think really setting our clients up for success is important and, and conveying that it matters and then giving them the tools that they need. I think that's how we make sure that we do better with some of these vulnerable cats. Sure. I'm thinking back to, and this, this was a canine patient, not a feline patient, but 
um, you know, we could not get this poor pup to lose weight. And it was, I'm giving him, you know, I, I can't remember what it was. It was like a cup of food. And we're like, that should be fine. And I think it came out in the end that it was like a big gulp cup <laughs> from the gas station. We're like, oh, that explains it. That won't work. I, I, I've absolutely had that scenario where my cup is not your cup. And so I'm thinking cup like a cook and someone's thinking cup like the plastic cup that sits in the pantry next to the dry food that is what they're thinking and so I do think yes being making sure that we're having a conversation that's actually on the same page is a great place to start yes apples to apples so no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) so thinking of um of our kitties and the fact that they can be kind of suspect when we're introducing new things I know you mentioned putting the Allura out on the kibble um, you know, on the, on the normal diet, just to kind of get them excited and get them used to it. But even still, you know, sometimes these guys can get suspicious. So do you have any tips and tricks as far as the best way to introduce Allura and help avoid any aversions? I do want to make it clear that we should not be putting the Allura on top of the food. We should be giving the Allura um, usually about 30 to 60 minutes before the first meal of the day. It does come as a liquid. Unfortunately, Capra Morellin has naturally a bit of a bitter taste, and so it can be challenging to completely mask that flavor. Both the Allura and the Entice have flavorings added to try and hide that taste, but I do think there are some individuals who, no matter what flavorings we've added, they can still taste that there's a chemical in there. What I think is helpful for getting the Allura successfully into the cat is to pull up the dose in the dosing um, syringe and then just stick it in the fridge or the freezer because I think not scientifically proven, not tested, but just observational that when it's cold, it doesn't seem to have the same impact as far as those flavor notes. Other thing I think is helpful is to put the Allura kind of back in the cheek pouch and avoid putting it on the tip of the tongue. It does seem as though whatever that that flavor note is, that the tongue tip is particularly sensitive to that. So put the allure in the back of the cheek, and I think chilling at first really helps. The other thing that was suggested to me, and I haven't yet done this, but I thought was a clever idea, is to actually pull up something very flavorful, like a little bit of um, uh, beef baby food or pulverized tuna into your dosing system, and then pull up your little dose of allure, which is usually about half an ml, and then pull up a little bit of your good flavor. And so the cat tastes good flavor, not so nice flavor, ooh, good flavor. And then hopefully the, the administration of the product is, uh, is more straightforward. So I think that's a really interesting thing to try. When, when a person is first starting their cat on Allura, some cats do seem to salivate a lot when they get the Allura. And I'm not sure if that's just a flavor thing or if it's actually some part of the Allura actually hitting the system. Um, So some people say, oh, the drooling, the drooling was a bit of a shock. And so I do say to owners, there can be some salivation when you first started. Um, Don't take that as a sign of distress. It's a reaction we do see in a a small percentage of cats. So I always warn owners about the hypersalivation just so they're not they're not surprised or startled Um, and then try and give them those those tips for making it as successful as possible. Well, this is really exciting to, uh, like you said, have another tool in our toolkit to keep these CKD cats healthy. Um, Thank you so much for being here and sharing it with us. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to share? 
I don't think so. I think we've covered the high spots. I do think it's tremendous that we're talking a lot more about ways to maintain weight in our CKD cats. Um, and I think it's going to open the discussion for lots of other chronic problems in cats, like cats with intestinal tract disease and cats with chronic pancreatitis. And there's so many conditions in cats where weight loss is an issue. Um, and then often for the owner's perspective, watching your cat get pickier and pickier and skinnier and skinnier is extremely difficult to deal with. And so I think there's a psychological component from the owner's perspective that goes along with trying to manage a, a dog or a cat with a chronic illness when they're not eating well. And so I'm really excited we have ways to keep the weight on them, keep them physically strong, keep them interested in their prescription diet. I think all these things are really going to enhance longevity. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Cook, thank you again. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Dr. Cook, and thank you to Elanco for sponsoring this episode. I hope you guys walked away with some valuable knowledge and new tools in your toolbox for how to manage these skinny kitties. If you'd like to find more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on Vetfolio's webpage. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.